This is the Doctor Who Podcast, and you are most welcome. Yes, join Ian, Trevor and me for a review of an episode title that I just cannot stop singing to a Billy Joel song. In the forest of the night, I was walking in my sleep, it felt like that at times. Yes, and uh, James has heralded his return to the Doctor podcast by whipping out a Billy Joel song. How about that? Three weeks was too short, mate, I'm afraid. <laughs> are there laws against that yeah. kind of thing? There are, yeah. yeah. What, me yeah. singing or Billy Joel? Both. Do you know, it, it has been a really weird kind of episode, this one, because ever since I heard it announced, I mean, first of all, I mean, clearly it's based on the William Blake poem, you know, the tiger, tiger in the night, burning bright, something like that. Tom would probably be bashing his head against the desk now for me misquoting. But also there's that song, you know, In the Middle of the Night. And I can't just say In the Forest of the Night without thinking of that song or, or getting earworms but there you go come on i mean it's, i can't keep this episode going for another 40 minutes you know you two well surely there's other billy joel songs that you can crowbar into this episode that you know we i mean he's had like a 40 year career hasn't he we you know we can fill up 40 minutes can't we surely oh i would imagine so is he still alive um well yeah he is he the photo on wikipedia sort of you know belies that idea but yes he is alive at the moment, I believe. so you're saying his picture on wikipedia looks a little bit like a corpse it's not <laughs> flattering, put it that way. Wonderful. Okay, and uh, what do you think of the state of Doctor Who then? Uh, is it corpse-like after this episode, Trevor? <laughs> or, um, well, cool. talk about Force of Segue. I tell you, Billy Joel would be turning in his grave if he was dead, if he'd seen Forest of the Night. Um, <laughs> so if he was dead, just... if he had watched it. <laughs> if he was dead, we don't know whether he's watched it yet or not. We will have to probably confirm with his manager. It, it's just one of those episodes, isn't it? You know, one of those ones that has all that stuff in it that I hate about Doctor Who. It's... <laughs> That's every episode, isn't it? We've had a really good run for the last couple of episodes. You know, they've been scary and they've been frightening. But then we get this one and it, it's just back to magic again. And it really annoys me. And we're back to tiresome romances between Danny Pink and Clara and... And Clara showing in many, many ways just what an inept and terrible school teacher she is. I didn't like this a huge amount. It, it didn't make a lot of sense. Um, I'm sure there's some scientist out there that could say otherwise, but I'm not sure the whole idea of the Earth being turned into a large airbag would actually stop a solar flare from destroying the planet. I'm not sure whether that sounds science or not. Yeah, I, it, it's just one of those, you know, sort of meh, type episodes that you don't really want to worry about ever again it 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 just wasn't my thing it was too much too many kids too much romance too much nonsense science and yeah just just quite ordinary well i liked it (laughs) i was quite surprised that i liked it as well because i um I, I listened to you and Stephen, you know, being extremely optimistic at the end of the last episode by thinking you're almost certain you're not going to like it, given the way the um, next time trailer looked. Uh, but 
I, I actually kind of agreed with a lot of your concerns there because lots of children in any episode of Doctor Who kind of nullifies the threat. It cancels it out completely. They are not going to obliterate a whole load of kids on Saturday night television, you know. So whenever there's, you know, whenever there's an element of danger with adults, it's simply not there, I think, with, with children. But I think they handled that really, really well because they never really put them dire- in, in direct danger uh, apart from two instances. And once I think, um, you know, you could say everyone on the entire planet was in the same kind of danger because it was going to be engulfed by a solar flare. And, and the other, which was only a brief element of threat, where you were being chased by the wolves and a tiger, which I have to say, I think the kids watching this would have thoroughly enjoyed. And uh, I'm hoping are going to be thinking of this episode of Doctor Who when they go on school trips to London Zoo uh, in, in future. But I have to say, I, I think the concept is is brilliant. I, I love the idea of the world turning into a forest overnight. I like the idea of London suddenly being overgrown. I can't for the life of me figure out where all the people went. Um, that was a bit odd because they seemed to be mm. the only people. It was a bit like Endor, you know, Luke and Leah were the only ones there apart from the occasional scout trooper or um, what were those fuzzy little things called? Muppets or something. Ewoks. That's, yes, yeah. Muppet, Ewoks. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but it, it kind of felt a bit strange. I know at the beginning they said, everybody stay in your home because we're going to be burning our way through, etc. I can't think people in London would just say, oh, okay. You know, that's that that was a bit unusual. And I agree with you, Trevor. I'm I'm a little bit not not necessarily tired, but I'm I'm not that interested in this strange relationship that uh, Clara has with with Danny. Um, I I can't quite understand why a school would allow just two teachers who are in a relationship to take a whole bunch of kids to a museum overnight. Either I don't think that that rang particularly true. Uh, with me, but then again, do they um, have that sort of thing in in the U of K? Yeah, it, yes, it just kind do. of struck me strange that 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 kids would be able to sleep overnight on the bare floor in the middle of a museum with no other supervision other than two teachers. Yeah, no, it's it's it, a, a feature of the Natural History Museum, and lots of kids do it. Um, in fact, some kids I know yeah. have done it. And in fact, um, my oh, okay, my, my mother has done it as well. It's not just for kids. I think my mother did too, but she got stuck in the museum after it shut, so she didn't have a choice. It was either that or sit on the loo <laughs> all night. But uh, I I think they they, they don't. I, I doubt whether they lie on the floor. You know, I'm almost uh, well, maybe not without a sleeping bag or a mattress of some kind. I, I think it is camping, but. Um... Yes, it's it's not quite camping in a field camping, but uh, uh, it's it's mostly in the the dinosaur rooms, I think, where all the, mm. the dinosaur bones are, as I recall. You can actually have children's parties there as well, and uh, it costs an absolute fortune. But uh, it's all very kind of Jumanji-like, really, isn't it? Or Night at the Museum. But uh, I, I like the premise, and it's something Doctor Who hasn't done done in in the past. I I didn't quite understand the ending, and maybe I'm jumping to the ending a little bit too early. But this child Annabelle where had she been exactly who took her away and why was she suddenly delivered up at the end didn't quite get that yeah. at all. I, I, I was completely lost by that bit and mm. so was everybody else in my family um, Glad it's not ha- just me, no idea at all what happened there. I did pick up a reference to Annabelle when I watched it for the second time um, because you know the first time I watched it I was horribly confused I mean who was this Annabelle person but then I watched it the second time and there was a reference the mother said oh you know uh, you know I've got to find Annabelle or you know a- Annabelle's yeah. run away well, or something like that yeah exactly no, but we, we... I couldn't figure out whether she'd run away whether the trees had abducted her or whether um, 
you know, she was part of some higher purpose, whether she's just a tease there for future episodes. I mean, I, I this... reckon she was walking along on her way to school and she suddenly got mugged by a gang of privet hedges and just not let go. <laughs> <laughs> but, e- but even that doesn't make sense because the mother wakes up at the beginning of the episode, essentially, like in the morning and says, oh, you know, I've got to go pick up, you know, my girl from the school trip, Amy or whatever it was. Maeve. There's there's no mention of Annabelle at, at that point at all. All she's concerned about is getting over to the museum. Now, Annabelle had been missing for daughter. a while because the teachers had talked yeah, about that she'd, yeah. she'd gone missing a while earlier and that's why Maeve was traumatised and was on the, the, the drugs and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. So she'd been gone for a long time. It wasn't an immediate thing. And then she just randomly reappears at the end of this. It didn't make any sense at all to me. I agree. I felt like there was a scene missing or something. A bit of exposition. There is. There's there's a whole subplot missing, surely. Because, mm. I mean, un- unless this is just meant to be like a little Missy-type teaser for you know, the rest of the season. It just didn't make sense. It was incredibly random. Yeah. Yeah. And and also her mother, which was uh, (laughs) very strange. Yeah, obviously London has been overtaken by this large forest, so I'm going to cycle through it and I'm going to make sure I wear my cycle helmet. And bearing in mind Coal Hill School is supposed to be in East London, Trevor, your imminent trip to the UK will give you a much better idea of London geography. (laughs) But uh, East London (laughs) is... It's a long way away from Trafalgar Square and to cycle through a forest all the way to Trafalgar Square, seemingly not knowing exactly where you're going, it's a bit silly. Probably faster than the district line, though. Yes, that's a very good point. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I didn't quite get it. I mean, I, I, I like the whole kind of subplot. You know, we reviewed the, all, all of Kill the Moon without seeing any of the pro-life agenda until a little bit afterwards. I mean, I'm not apologetic for that. I just didn't notice it. I, I did notice the um, th- this eco thing. Um, you know, trees are our friends, if I'm going to be a bit uh, um, cynical, I, I think. And, you know, I, I don't mind having a moral. don't mind having a subplot like that, like the Green Death or something. But this was a little bit too in your face for me. I thought there was quite a bit of social commentary going on here because yes there's obviously the you know the trees are trying to help you and you're burning them thing which was yeah obviously an eco message the other one i did notice as well was a few swipes at kids and the way kids are given conditions and drugs and what have you and when they <laughs> joked about the boy with the anger management and mave and the drugs and, and they, they really labored the fact that they'd given uh, drugs to mave and the doctor was very dismissive of that and I was actually slightly mm-hmm. concerned about that. And I say that as uh, someone who's got an autistic son who does take drugs every single day to help control his condition. And he needs mm. to, and it's important. And I think it's a very dubious message for the doctor and the BBC to be telling kids everywhere, oh, never mind what your parents tell you, don't take the medication. I, th- I thought that was a little bit off. It's, 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 a, it's an easy thing to do. And I know, you know that the newspapers like to take these swipes. But I thought to put it in Doctor Who actually bothered me somewhat. Totally agree. I mean, you know, for the BBC to say, well, it's not normal to take drugs. And in one essence, I suppose it isn't. It, it's not normal. I mean, it would be wonderful if every kid in the world didn't have to take a drug to help them out, you know, with their behaviour or attitude. But in some cases, it's there as a coping mechanism. And, uh, and, 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 and for Doctor Who and the BBC to say, well, it's never necessary, yeah. you know, don't, don't take drugs, kids. I, I don't think they said it was never necessary. I think they said, you know, just in cases when your planet is completely consumed by a forest overnight, then, you know, all the normal... No, 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 no it's no, much stronger no. than that. The, the doctor was saying she's yeah. trying to talk to you and instead of listening, you give her drugs. And that's a message right. that will res- resonate immediately with children. 
But the, the reality mm. of it is quite a subtle and nuanced situation that varies from person to person. And that's totally lost in that border statement. And I thought that was a, a dodgy thing for the, the BBC to be saying. In terms of the story as a whole, I'm somewhere between Trevor and James on this one. I really enjoyed the setup. I thought that the, the idea of covering London with a forest was really good. In fact, it reminded me somewhat of Invasion of the Dinosaurs, and we actually thought we were going to get that in the first story with the dinosaur. Um, but I thought actually it delivered much more in this one in terms of you know the, the, the strange London going through and finding stuff. I liked the Doctor a lot. Uh, I thought that the way he conducted himself, and particularly when Maeve turned up at his TARDIS, uh, and, and the way he kind of nodded her inside and was behaving with her, I liked that. I'm getting much more sort of the Doctor that I like, who's the hero, and you can see the kids looking up to as a hero. Very pleased with that. But as the story went on, I didn't feel it really did all that much. And of course we got more Clara and more Clara angst and I, I, I just don't care. I really just don't care at all. I didn't mind Danny Pink actually. I thought Danny Pink more than Clara was being sensible. You know, the kids are the priority. The, 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 this is what we should be thinking about. And I thought it was actually pretty bizarre that the, the, the sort of hero companion had to keep being reminded that the kids are the priority as a teacher. Um, so Danny, I thought, was actually was quite a reasonable character in this, but Clara was just a pain again. And overall, mm. it, as Trevor says, it's just one of those stories. It was, it was, wasn't bad. The setup was okay. There's nothing hugely wrong with it. But you know, would I remember it and come back to it as a first watch? Probably not. It's just one of those filler stories. Filler for me is, is, is something like Robots of Sherwood, which is which is interesting actually, because one of the things I wanted to ask the pair of you is is the, the way this was shot. I mean, I, I'm not entirely certain how they did it. I assume part of it was studio, other parts was CGI, and maybe some of it was outside. I'm not sure. I never really believed I was outside, and whereas it was very obvious in Robots of Show, where they were filming in a forest. This felt very different. It was a little bit like, I don't know, um, an extreme example would be the jungle on Varos. <laughs> you know, no, no real attempt to make it feel particularly realistic. I would imagine it's all green screen. That there'd, there'd have been in a green screen studio with the, the London props interspersed with trees and plant pots basically and then they'd have green screened all the background behind that mm. i'm almost certain that's how they did it i wouldn't have gone as far to say that it was unrealistic i, I think it was very stylized they were definitely going for a lot of a very specific look especially with the shadows and the way the pools of light dropped all through the forest i when i watched it for the two times i've seen it i, I never got the impression that a lot of it was done on stage i i think a lot of the forest was real and they plonked all the other stuff in more as a CGI because there was lots of attempts there to put, you know, random underground poles and, uh, you know, bus mm. stop signs and stuff like that. So to me, it seemed like a real location for the most part, but, but like with the lion put in a CGI or, you know, um, what do you call it? Nelson's column put yeah, in a yeah. CGI. I know what you mean by stylized. It certainly had a particular feel to it that uh, I think worked. It's not particularly um, commonplace in, in, in Doctor Who, I think. And uh, the only other time when I remember watching a tree, I guess, and not really buying it would have been Marco Larani. And uh, who knows, <laughs> perhaps this was a kind of, um, you know, spin-off from Marco Varani. <laughs> I, I, I love trying to pull these things out I really do the, these trees that, what was the name of the character in Marco Durrani Luke wasn't it who, who turned into a, a tree yeah I can't, I, I can't remember 
a symbiotic connection with all trees. Are, it, it, this makes sense. The more you think about it, it's it's clearly. I was actually thinking. expecting to get a Forest of Cheam <laughs> reference somewhere in this story. Yes, yes. I wonder why they they. Do you know what? There were so many things like that that you could have referenced if, if need be. I mean, but look at the resolution, which was essentially the, the solar flare engulfing the entire planet. Not a single mention of the fact that our little moon in the sky would now have been a rather, you know, overcooked boiled egg. You know, there was n- nothing like that. We were just kind of meant to think, well, this is independence of, of, of everything and perhaps of some classic Who references like Marco the Rani as well. What we needed was some vervoids. <laughs> some vervoids would have spiced things up a little bit. Oh, there you go. Yes, indeed. Vervoids. You could always do it with a good vervoid. So. Um, one of the things that uh, you mentioned, Ian, was this: uh, the two relationships that were on display throughout this, and it was pretty much in the foreground of the story, really, rather than the lions, tigers, and trees and so on, was the relationship Clara's got with Danny, which um, I, I think we're all pretty much on the same page. It's not as gripping as I think the writers would like it to be, certainly for us. But the, the one relationship I was much more intrigued by this week was the Doctor and Clara and I like the way it reversed and you're right Ian um, Clara is is not shown in a good light and she's not shown in a good light for a lot of this series actually her priority as Trevor correctly identified a long time ago was that she just wants to be taken to you know different planets amazing places above everything else she was thinking you know let's let's just go and uh the kids will be, you know, left to their fate. Perhaps they'll be with Danny. Danny will never leave. And then she tried to persuade them again. And it just kind of flipped completely. Clara, for some reason, thought it's a good idea that these kids meet their doom with their parents rather than getting in a TARDIS and leaving their parents but surviving. So that was very strange. And I like the way that that scene outside the TARDIS with the Doctor played out. Really enjoyed that. Are you misremembering that scene? Because that whole scene to me was Clara saying, no. I don't want the kids to go with you because all they want is their mum and dad. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly you mis- what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. But towards- but didn't you just but didn't you just argue the opposite? No, no, not at all. I think right. First of all, I think her judgment was wrong. You don't encourage kids to die just because they can be with their parents. I think that's probably wrong. If you've got a lifeboat, as she originally suggested, then you should get in it and go. But then towards the end, when they were talking about getting in the um, getting in the TARDIS to go and watch this big solar flare engulf the planets and and he was going no I don't want to because everything that's remarkable for me is on this planet it's it's here now it's it's um it's exciting for me I don't need to go into space to get my thrills so to speak this this to me was another example of Clara being quite selfish to be honest uh and that's not a trait I really expect to see in companions. No, look, I, the selfishness has been there from certainly from two thousand and five. Rose was eminently selfish. Amy was positively uh, objectionable at some points, but, um, but not quite to this level where they're actually doing things that are objectively bad. And you know, you, you shouldn't be behaving this way just for their own self-interest. The the character that actually has just recently started to bubble into my mind is Adam. The, the guy who went and got the you know the future information and then the head head computer the, the 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 ninth doctor was very clear you don't measure up as a companion because you're like that now okay i'm not suggesting clara is as bad as him but i struggle to see how with particularly some of the more recent stuff how she measures up as a companion you know i i i don't think some of the doctors would have accepted her with the stuff she's been doing but others would have done and this incarnation started off asking for help because he was totally all at sea 
And I, I think I think there's it's a unique relationship. And I also think there's a heck of a lot more to Clara than, than meets the eye. And uh, I don't think the impossible girl thing has been um, completely resolved. And I, I know that's what we're supposed to think given the next time trailer as well. But um, yeah, I, I think we're seeing a pretty unique Doctor. You know, you can make comparisons with a, a number of previous incarnations, but no one's really portrayed the Doctor like Capaldi has. And I think the same is true to a degree of, of, of Clara. I like the fact we have no idea what's going on. You know, the, the series for me is looking brilliant. The Doctor is intriguing. Um, he's got a very clear journey that, um, you know, he started off in a very irascible way, upset lots of people within the story, I mean, not just you, Trevor. And, uh, you know, <laughs> the, the kind of way that he's developed and the stories are kind of... They're making the Doctor and Companion take on different roles, look at things in a different way. And it's not from the point of view that the Companion and the Doctor are always good and are always well-motivated. That's not the case, with this pairing at least. And I, I'm I'm happy with this twist. I mean, I've, I've never enjoyed such a run of episodes so much, with, with, with the exception of the robot of sure i can never say with robots robot of sherwood i i I've, I've enjoyed every single one and not a single episode has filled like filler to me and i wasn't expecting to enjoy last night's either i don't know but i, I mean the whole interchanging of roles I, I i suppose too that that comes from the very fashionable thing at the moment that fans like to think that you know the doctor isn't a good man you know you know it, everyone seems quite happy to think that you know he's not a good man and and, and that's just a premise and a theory that I cannot agree with in any way shape or form I mean it, it just goes against everything that I grew up with Doctor Who and now by extension that it almost seems James that you're enjoying the fact that he, he does have those shades of grey I, I don't mind you know the you know the Doctor having facets but when it attacks one of the central premises of the show you know that you know the Doctor is a good man he, he, he's fighting the good fight and when the show and fans are trying to say otherwise that that kind of dulls my appreciation oh, I, I wouldn't go that far though you see uh, I don't think they are attacking the central premise of the Doctor being good um, and I think this was articulated quite clearly at the end of last week's episode where Clara said well I, I was was I a good doctor and he said you're an exceptional doctor nothing about being good and all, all this is is the doctor doing what he always does but different facets of his personality being more obvious in this incarnation because the doctor has always been manipulative he's always been aggressive i mean ian you talked about when the ninth doctor dropped adam in uh, in the long game that was very clear not many other uh, not many other doctors would have just said goodbye, you failed your application, uh, you are no longer a companion. Um, and when we saw that come out with Eccleston, we saw Tennant being ridiculously human and empathetic and soppy and emo. You know, we're not getting that now. And this is the same character for me, does the same stuff, knocks around the universe just in a slightly different way, and that's what I'm enjoying. I don't mind that. I, I, I don't <clears> mind the Doctor being mean in bursts. Every Doctor's been mean. I mean, the you know, the fifth Doctor was quite mean in Enlightenment. Tom Baker had his <laughs> times when he was just downright rude to people and dismissive of, you know, you know, the humans that he had to deal with, but it's just Capaldi's Doctor just taking it to the extreme. I mean, everyone's saying, oh, you know, Capaldi's just like Hartnell. Hartnell was always rude and irascible and just downright mean. No, he wasn't. He wasn't. I, I mean, he's not like Capaldi is, you know... C- 
Capaldi's just mean, Maybe. and yeah, I, I, don't, I, I don't know. I, the, this this rewriting of history by by fans who whose parents weren't even alive when the show started. Well, never listen to fans. Just make up your own opinion. And as far as I'm concerned, you know, yeah, he has got shades of First Doctor. You're right. He's not exactly like him, and I'm glad he's not because it's a unique portrayal. Simple as that. Do I recognise him as the Doctor? Yes, completely, 100%. And this this is part of the reason why I've actually moved away from reading a lot of stuff online because I just can't be bothered to read these opinions anymore. You know, it, I'm enjoying it. And that's all I'm really concerned about. And that's all I would encourage everybody to do is watch it and make up your own minds. You know, if you like it, then great. And if you don't like it as much, then do you know what? That's actually okay. <laughs> because that does that does actually happen every now and again, certainly. How far Doctor could you strip back the show now and, and take away the stuff that you recognise as the Doctor? Like if you didn't give him a TARDIS, if he couldn't time travel, mm-hmm. if... If he wore normal clothes, I mean, I I, I really got the the awful feeling in this story that I was watching an episode of House. I really did. <laughs> I've never he seen. He was that. a mean. Oh, you I, be, you should because you know Capaldi could play that role. It's Hugh Laurie, and, isn't it? In in House, yeah, yeah. he would yeah, also yeah. Like, be like, a brilliant Doctor. He would, and he would probably play it the same way. He would play it as a you know mean spirited, rude, dismissive genius. And I, I spent a lot of this episode thinking of Hugh Laurie. It, it probably wasn't a good comparison for me because it kind of cemented my thoughts that, well, you know, this this really isn't the Doctor. Oh, I, sh- I shall have to go and have a look. It sounds like I might like his portrayal. <laughs> but there you go. I love it, but I love it because the series' whole premise is based on that. It, it's not something that shifted so dramatically over, you know, its, its 50-year lifespan. Well, let, let me just go back to the episode because there's, there's two other things that I did really want to mention, one of which I was, <laughs> I was really pleased because I think it's been a title of one of our podcasts in the past, and that's where Clara and the Doctor are talking about the sonic screwdriver and Clara says, it's not a magic <laughs> wand, you know. <laughs> and we're thinking, oh, right, I wonder where you picked that up from. And that, that essentially is fandom, isn't it? Yes. And uh, the uh, the sonic screwdriver has been much, much less prevalent this season than, than it has in the past. And Trev, you mentioned me, Stephen, last time. I'm not sure Capaldi's actually figured out there's a little button on it. The, you, you know, the, you know the thing where it comes out and grabs your eyeball, or it could do. You could have your eye out almost, like you say, that's never mm. been pushed. But I'm glad that was articulated. It, it's almost a kind of acknowledgement. Yeah, we've gone a little bit too far with this in the past. Um, that was one element, and the other element, which uh, again we haven't spoken about very much, are, are the child actors in this. And I have mm. to say, I thought they were Gosh. universally brilliant. I like the they were whole universally. Lot. Awful, especially that redhead. Oh, I mean, it, she, if she was meant to be an annoying, whiny brat, then she, she's the most brilliant Oscar-worthy actor ever. But oh, no, no kid actor is that good that they could pull it off without pulling something from their own personal bad acting experience. <laughs> she was... Well, I, I thought she was very, very true to um, to what I expect from British schoolgirls. Trevor, you're not going to like the UK very much when you go. <laughs> <laughs> the, the travel's going to be a nightmare. It's full of kids... <laughs> <laughs> There's plenty of kids here, but we aren't wandering around acting all the time. I mean, <laughs> I, thought, I thought they were really good. I have to say, and, and I enjoyed their performances. And I, I, I was probably trying. Well, was I actually trying? No, I think it just happened anyway. I was imagining, you know, a seven or eight year old watching this, and I was thinking, this is this this is going to be brilliant. This is the kind of thing that I would have been hooked on had I watched it when I was seven or eight. Really, there was only three of them anyway that had any. Decent 
decent part. You know, you had anger management kid, you had the annoying redhead, and and you had the one that waved her hands around all the time. All the others were kind of you know pretty much background characters more than Bradley, anything. Bradley, Maeve, and Ruby. I think I can't remember, but uh, God, you even know their names. You're obsessed. I didn't try. <laughs> My goodness, that's the thing. You're the obsessed. story was interesting enough for me not to even. There's no hope for you. I think I've got one of those names wrong at least. But <laughs> I'm with you, James. I, I, I hope so because I mean, yeah. I mean, if you've got these three kids memorized, then you know, there's there's no hope for you at all. Uh, well, I'm I, as I said, I, I, I liked it. Um, and I think I've had an affection for any kind of foresty story since Return of the Jedi, to be honest with you, because that Endor really captured my imagination. <laughs> this was nothing like it, but I do like the idea. I do like the concepts. Um, I, there, there wasn't anything I disliked. The story was a little bit slow and th- there has been a, a, a decided turn for the for the soap opera style this season and um, I'm wondering I mean do we know whether Danny is returning next year whether or not Clara is or not I mean is he going to be the doctor's companion next year for example oh god which means no 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 because if he returns then she'll return so I'd, I'd say if Clara's well, gone at the end of will the year she? then Stephen could probably tell you, but I don't read those websites, so I don't know. Well, I, I don't need to, because, I mean, the whole reason for Danny being there is because Clara's there. It, it's not vice versa. So if Clara leaves, then there's no reason for Danny to be there. The Doctor could learn a hell of a lot from Danny, because they are essentially the same character. That's why they don't like each other. You know, they, um, <laughs> they, they are both soldiers. They are both fighting for something. You know, they both care about Clara. Uh, this is why there's so much conflict there. And I, I think once you've got over, you know, if there is going to be a reconciliation that's going to be, I, I don't know, put it this way. If Clara ends up not surviving this season or Christmas or whatever, then her loss will certainly bring those two characters together. I can't imagine the Doctor's just going to run off, but you never know. I mean, this is this is well into the realms of speculation here, dear listeners. We've got absolutely no idea what's going to happen other than the fact that there is a Christmas episode because it's wrapped fairly recently. Well, I would personally like to see Clara leave at the end of this series, and obviously Danny would go with her. And not because I particularly dislike Danny, but you know they're they're a couple, and something new and fresh next year. Probably not in the Christmas special because they don't tend to do that. But new companion who lives in the TARDIS, not not who's living at home and going out on day trips. But I've no idea whether that's happening or not. No, me either. Um, I, I have a feeling that Clara will go, but um, in terms of the kind of relationship she has with a doctor where he just picks her up every other wednesday or whatever yeah i mean i'm it's different it's different and i'm all for different and i like the fact that the doctor could be on his own at the beginning of any one episode well, i think that's cool well we had it with the with the ponds for the last season yeah. or so of them and now clara's yeah. done the same and so we've had a few years of it now i'd kind of like to go back to just traveling yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't be adverse to that either I wouldn't, but uh, I, I don't really mind the format the way it is. in the realms of magic again not not so much with the beginning of the episode you can almost get away with the fact that you've got your little firefly creatures creating trees but then at the end of the episode once the solar flare has gone past all the trees instantly disappear like by magic are we in the realms of magic again you know uh, you know wrapped up in the guise of unexplained never before mentioned and probably never will be again creatures that somehow have inhabited the earth 
creating airbags every three million years. Yeah, that's that's the story reason, certainly. If they can grow overnight, I see no particular reason why they couldn't dissolve themselves. Yeah. I, I do wonder what the roadworks bill would be like to, uh, afterwards to put everything back again. It depends whether they, um, yeah, whether or not the big cracks that the roots would have created disappeared as well. Who knows? <laughs> I, see, I, I can buy the trees evaporating. The, the roads rebuilding themselves is, I think, is a stretch can bit you? further. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, they, 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 if they can grow overnight, they can dissolve overnight. You know, it, it, it's if you've accepted the pseudoscience of one, you can accept the other. Well, it's in the script as well. It, where, where, the doc, where the doctor slows down gravity and sees these particles, they would say, well, we, we brought it here. And then they just disperse because their job is done. So there is a story reason. It isn't magic. They are essentially a life form that turned up when they were needed and left when they weren't. So it's not magic. Oh yeah, I mean, but... I'm 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 on board with it. It's that because that's in the story, but it, it it's it doesn't really make sense. I mean, I I'm actually fine with the fact that you can have these firefly creatures being able to accelerate growth, you know, you know, within one night in response to the imminent danger. But then at the end, dissolving everything via magic, and it was like it's the same puffs thing. of smoke it's almost. Well, all, all, up, all plants you know? evaporate down to nothing eventually. They they sort of rot into the ground and, you know, disappear. It usually takes years and years and years, but then so does the growth. So I, I think it works both ways. I, I don't have a problem with that. I, I know what you mean in terms of the atmosphere it creates, right? And I, and I think that ties into the style of this episode, which is all kind of, it's almost fantasy-like, you know, which is, I think, closer to magic than sci-fi usually is. So it, it definitely felt as though... It was a little bit more mm. magical and fantastical than usual, but would, do, do yeah. I do I think it's magic? You know, something just happened. The kind of thing I describe as magic in Doctor Who would have been the Master's resurrection and end of time. Potion here, potion there, hair, bang, we have a, a master back. That doesn't even pretend to be science, as far as I'm concerned. We wanted the master back. Let's have this clever scene where he comes out of a cauldron essentially um but but this for me the reasons were given there was an entity for you know, whether you like it or not is another issue an entity on earth since the dawn of time protects earth when it needs protecting and doesn't when it doesn't not very good perhaps not very strong but i can accept it um i have one last thing to say and it actually forms the uh basis of a cookie theory Of the week. This is what Alex said when we were watching Forest of the Night earlier today. He, he just turned to me randomly and said, Dad, I think Missy's raising an army. Just wondering what you guys thought of that. It, it, was, it seemed to be quite an adult thing for Alex to come up with. I mean, he's only five and a half, and he just turned to me matter-of-factly and said, you know, Dad, this is what's happening. Missy's raising an army. I think that... Uh, I, I can go in here. I think that there there could be something to that. I, I've been a bit uncomfortable with the direction that the Missy thing has been going in because it's got these sort of religious overtones of it being the afterlife and heaven. And looking at the cover of DWM, it seems to be saying the same thing. And that always bothers me because either you're going to offend religious people by saying it's rubbish or you're going into religious territory that I don't think Doctor Who should. But I've also been thinking with the Cybermen coming along, maybe this is a new way that the Cybermen are getting their... Uh, victims mm. to be converted so I think there, there could be there could be something to that there it yeah possibly um first of all I, I think all of the heaven and religion stuff is utter misdirection as as always and Moffat's superb at that so I, I don't think that's the case but raising an army yes 
I do, and I, I, I refer everyone back to episode whatever it was when we were reviewing Into the Dalek, <laughs> when I was I was suggesting that this army is going to consist of clockwork droids who are, in fact, proto-Cybermen, and we've got the Cybermen back. So, yes, Alex, thank you at least one person for listening to me, and uh, I, I think we will see this big army that, um, that Missy is either, either raising up herself or... Um, somebody else's i mean you know the you've got theories about who missy is all over the internet and exactly the same way you did with river song and countless other characters as well and uh and unless it is someone we've seen before and i mean since 2005 um then i think all bets are off and it could be absolutely anything you may Well, unless anyone's got any other uh, Billy Joel references to get out of their system before we go tonight, anyone? Well, I was no? wondering it's... whether James was the piano man or possibly just an uptown boy. As long as we didn't start the fire, then I suppose there are no <laughs> chances for any more Billy Joel references. So uh, I, I think we can call it a day, guys. Well, J- James certainly isn't an innocent man. <laughs> <laughs> and it doesn't matter if I started the fire in the first place because we've already established nothing catches fire in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go whatever Doctor Who might be it's still rock and roll to me so we'll see you next week and we and we hope you out there just the way you are so we'll see you next week guys bye 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 for now everybody bye everyone see more someone that I knew You've been listening to the sexy piano bar version of the Doctor Who podcast, brought to you this week by James, Ian and Trevor. The only thing that would make this more perfect is if Tom said, Oh yeah. Oh yes, that's perfect. You can check out more episodes of the show at thedoctorwhopodcast.com or check us out on Facebook, Twitter or drop by the Doctor Who piano bar and say hi. Thanks for listening. See you later. Any better. I love you just the way you are. It is raining quite heavily here, so it doesn't I didn't think it rained in Australia. No, it never does. It's it's obviously just something leaking. Someone's playing with the hose. Does it yeah. rain cats and dogs or koalas and wallabies? Um, spiders and bilbies, snakes, actually. No, no. The snakes and the spiders are, come from under the ground. The bilbies fall from the trees. Ah, well, do you remember when you had all those floods last year? Well, I suppose you must do. You were there. But, um, <laughs> and the year before. And the year before. <laughs> well, the way it was reported here was that it was raining snakes because <laughs> the, the, the rain had been so so intense that it had washed all of the snakes and stuff up into the trees and people were walking along under the trees and then they got jumped on by snakes. Is that true? Ah, but w- no, not at all. And even if it was, we have extra special heavy-duty umbrellas over here. So, oh, well, just just for the old reptile um, down. Snake-proof umbrellas, because because we had that goanna shower last year, so it's, so we had to get these better umbrellas. What's a what's a goanna? You know what? It's it, it's a poop? lizard. No, that's. Go- oh. <laughs>
Yes. Goanna. You know what a Goanna is, surely. Um, um, Ian? No, should no, I know what a Goanna no is? idea at all. Oh, thank God. I'm not, no, I don't know what one is. What You're is? kidding. No, still no, not kidding. I, what is it? <laughs> it's it's like a lizard. It's um, like a monitor lizard sort of thing. What, and you had a shower of them? Yeah. Is this yeah. like Magnolia with frogs at the end? Yes, but... um. Yeah, we, we, we have our own Australian version. Okay. Yeah, with 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 goannas and frogs and stuff like that. I don't that note, this podcast can't get any more surreal. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> I thought you had an intro. It wasn't about lizards or snakes or anything, was it? It wasn't, no, and if that was an intro then you know it's it's probably gone on for far, far too long. Were you gonna do an intro for me? Ha <laughs> ha